This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing, Forward Bite, hosted by Superfan and actual know it all Kyle Armstrong on the Speedsport Podcast Network. Lord, it's the same old place, rednecks and clay. Where do we take it from here? We got fancy toter homes and new shiny cars. Ain't been a half mile in years. They want to change. Well, my mama warned me when I went down to Gaffney. Oh, she finally got it made. He said, oh, Rock made it here. And we're all sure that you will. But I don't think Rock done it this way. Lord, I don't think Rock run it this way. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong. This week, we're going to be previewing the Rock Gaunt Memorial at the place your mama warned you about this weekend, Cherokee Speedway in Gaffney, South Carolina. We're going to talk to a couple of special guests. Joining me in studio here today is Mr. Dwayne Goins. Dwayne, how's it going today? Doing real great. This is a nice place, and uh, Ralph Sheen's got a nice facility here and Speed Sport. And it's just glad to be over here and talk a little Rock Gaunt here tonight. Yeah, you uh, you pretty much worked there about every weekend announcing the races and got that place going. You even coined the phrase, the place your mama warned you about, and uh, you're going to tell us all about that tonight, I'm sure. Yeah, we're going to go there and, and touch on some things, Rock, that people didn't know. Uh, this is basically a rehearsal. We're going to have a ceremony before the race down there Saturday. But it's, uh, it's the biggest event that's ever been held there. Uh, the second ever NDRA race was there. And I can still remember the people standing on top of that concrete block wall. I was in the infield, and it looked like sil- you know silhouettes of people. There were so many people there. And this is going to be the biggest thing since then. They've had some big ones and this and that and other, but I was there at that first one. And by the way, they didn't play the National Anthem. They played Dixie before the NDR. 1979, and Junior Johnson's right-hand man, Mr. Mike Hill, had a guy named C.L. Pritchett. From Georgia, he won that first one. It's a legendary event, and it kicked off the NDRA. And but I can still remember those people standing on that concrete block wall down there. If you've never been there, Highway 18 out of Shelby intersects 85, and, and that's what a racetrack's at. Well, we're going to talk. We're going to get into some more details on that event this weekend. It's actually paying. Uh, I believe the purse is up to forty thousand to win this weekend for Saturday night. Forty thousand. It started at twenty. And it's now 40. Local businesses have been throwing money at the thing in, in honor of Rock, who was a, a local businessman down there. And uh, it's going to be 15 for second, 10,000 for third, and it's $1,200 to start the race on Saturday. Now, Friday night, uh, and this is a World of Outlaws sanctioned event, and our next guest is the World of Outlaw point leader, and he'll be on here in just a little bit. But uh, uh, Friday night, they'll run two super late model features for 5,000 win each. And this is, this is unheard of territory here. It really is. This, uh, this, this is bigger than big. And, and the whole area and regions uh, on, on board with it. And it's, uh, it's going to be, I'm interested to see how many people there Thursday night at seven for practice. It's going to be interesting to see where they're going to put everybody, the haulers, the fans, the campers. It's going to be, the place will be packed out, I guarantee you. So if you don't get down there early, you're going to you're going to miss out on a good seat. That is for sure. I think the single car parking is something that Tony Adair and Scott Childers down there, the promoters, will have to deal with there. And uh, they got to get a handle on that right quick. Because I ran, I ran Scrabbling in Georgia for 51 months. And we were three times we ran four tracks at one time. Uh, mud bog, drag strip, go-karts, dirt track, had a band on the stage. So, uh, you know, the parking's the thing, and people got to realize that, uh, you know, 
it's uh we're all in it together so you know, yeah what you what you do on a weekly Saturday night I don't know if it's going to happen but uh, they've got three pages Cherokee Speedway page Cherokee Speedway driver and talk and uh, there is South Carolina then and now and then there's my little page the place your mama warned you about and all the information is there it's going to be interesting well this will shift gears just a little bit and we'll, we'll circle back around to all that talk about rock because we've got some stories to tell but this weekend i uh had the chance to go up to bristol tennessee for the bristol dirt nationals there at bristol motor speedway and uh man i, I really was very impressed whenever i first walked into the place i'll never forget the way i felt about how you know just was just blown away with the facility how it looked with dirt covered on it and uh, they were hot lapping or had a heat race going on at the moment i walked in and the sounds, the atmosphere, the the feel, the smell was like no other. I mean, it was like uh, walking into Eldora and seeing it for the first time. But this was just a different, totally, di totally different. Uh, one of the nicest facilities you could ever go see a dirt track race at. And they had it there this weekend. And they've got a couple more coming up before they uh, take the dirt back off. And, man, I tell you what, they ought to keep the dirt on it because that's probably the best that place has ever been. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, Friday night, uh, Chris Ferguson picked up the super late model win over Kyle Larson, Jonathan Davenport, Scott Bloomquist, Chris Madden rounded out the top five. Huge win for Chris Ferguson. It was fast time, won his heat race, uh, started on the pole and led every lap and uh, won the 10,000 to win that night. And he said that was uh, his biggest career win yet. And I, I think he's probably dead on right about that. And you roll into Saturday there. Uh, Chris Ferguson, once again, fast time, set on the pole. And... Uh, and led a few laps there to begin with, and Kyle Larson took him, overtook him. Well, meanwhile, Jonathan Davenport started back there in tenth, and we were watching him make his way through there. And and uh, sure enough, he he was right there at the right place, at the right time, and picked them off, and got around Kyle Larson just before halfway, and pulled away, and uh, in dominating fashion, won the fifty thousand to win Bristol Dirt National Super Late Model portion of the event on Saturday night over Kyle Larson, Scott Bloomquist, Bobby Pierce. And Frank Ingram, Frank Ingram from down there around Woodstock, Georgia, he uh, he really showed out this weekend, did a great job. Uh, and then the Lucas Oil Series was uh, was scheduled to race at Brownstown on Friday, on uh, on Saturday. Actually, they were Atomic was scheduled to race on Friday. If I can get my story straight here, they uh, postponed it to due to uh, the weather up there in the area. Uh, so, so then there was, you know, no competing race there on Friday for the, for the Bristol dirt race. So Saturday, Lucas oil was in action at Brownstown and they had unfavorable track conditions. So they, they actually stopped the show early. Well, there was, there were several guys that were, that were up there that, uh, that left Bristol to go run there and then they didn't get to complete their show. Um, Kyle Strickler was one of them. He had a, he had his modified sitting on standby at Bristol and, and he flew in on the airplane and we're going to talk to Strickler here pretty short, shortly on the podcast. And we're going to get his whole story on that because I, I would have to say that'd really be interesting to find out about what he had going on. But anyway, so the show got canceled there at Brownstown and they're going to put, they're going to postpone actually, and they're going to redo it in May. Uh, the next night, the Lucas Oil Series went to Atomic, and Hudson O'Neill was fast all night, and he picked up the win and took the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series points lead. And speaking of points leader, we're going to go to the phone line, the Andy's Tow and Hotline, and talk to Kyle Strickler next on the Forward Bike Podcast. Joining us on the Andy's Tow and Hotline, it's Kyle Strickler, the the World of Outlaws points leader, going into this weekend at Cherokee Speedway. How's it going today, Kyle? 
Oh, it's going pretty good. Pretty good. We're back home from Bristol and uh, ready to get after this weekend. Strickler. Did he say Strickler? Kyle Strickler, are you still racing, boy? Oh, yeah, you know it. You know it. <laughs> You're coming to Cherokee as the World of Outlaws late model point leader. How's it feel? Uh, it sounds pretty good. I, I know that. And I'm, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I usually don't um, – don't really uh, look forward to going to Cherokee, but uh, I think with the, such, such a big race, uh, uh, I'm excited about all the money they're paying out and going there for, against the War of Outlaw boys. We got a little bit of a hometown advantage, I think. So, and you only have to race against half of them on Friday night for five thousand, and then the other half races for five, and then uh, I'm sure they'll get that worked out when you get there. But man, I don't have you. Have you ever run for forty thousand a win before? Uh, yeah, we've definitely uh, ran for. Um, you know, ran for more than that, but not a Cherokee. So, well, uh, you, you know, I'm, you were floating back with the open wheel mods. You'll have to excuse me on that. But 15,000 for second and 10 for third and 1,200 if I get me a car and start down there. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, uh, uh, they keep on adding to that purse. Heck, it might be 100,000 to win by the time we get there. Yeah, and that town in Rock, and, his, and that's what I'm going to be doing a little bit later on, telling some stories about Rock, Rock Galt and what all went on down there. The actual construction crew building I-85 is the one that lengthened the place and banked it up to start with back in the day. They would get off work, they'd fill the pans and stuff up, and come over to the racetrack and work on the track at night. And really? I, yeah, I know that. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. I'm going to kind of tell a little bit of that here tonight on the show. But, man, you, you've been on the road. Kyle wants to know about all this travel you did the weekend. He wants to – I don't know if he wants to be your travel agent or what, but he, he wants you to break that down for us. That's the Wayne Goins there, by the way, that was talking with you. I don't know if we ever introduced him, but – He knows. Yep, yep, I can tell by his voice, the one and only. I got a sinus thing going here. Yeah, so – well, yeah, I really, I really wanted to have you on the show tonight. I mean, we had you, and I appreciate you being on the uh, episode number one of this podcast, and since then this is episode number 18 tonight, and – uh, probably wouldn't want to, you know, have anybody else on, you know, that close together. But you've had so much go on since then that it would just seem right to bring you on here. I mean, you're the World of Outlaw Points leader, like we talked about. Uh, and then this weekend, you had a heck of a busy weekend with doing all that traveling and uh, racing at Bristol. Uh, you uh, you raced at Bristol all week. We're going to start on the pole at the at Bristol with your modified, and then then you had to leave there for your uh, commitments to go to brownstown and i just want to learn how that all went down because you had to have a car ready at both tracks and uh, that just seems like a lot of logistics to figure out so you can just break it down for us yeah i mean it was there was a lot of planning leading up to it for sure um our original plan was to go there and just run the modified tuesday and thursday um and then you know just scratch, scratch and have to miss out on saturday but uh I didn't realize that the qualifiers didn't pay anything, was, which was my fault. I should have looked into it. And uh, we were there all week, and our car was so fast. But, um, you know, when we got went there, Thursday ended up getting rained out. So Tuesday, we, we uh, won the heat race from ninth, put us leader in passive points, and then won the qualifier, which was so awesome to, uh, to win at Bristol. Uh, but it didn't pay anything. So uh, I got very lucky that um, – um, Paul and John Leach, the, the low and bro guys, they, uh, they flew out from Montana on their personal plane to, um, to come watch Arpin. He's doing the, you know, they're, they're the, uh, the business people behind the Longhorn by low and bro with, with Steve Arpin, which is what kind of car I'm driving now on the modified. So, um, they had their private plane sitting there, um, in Bristol 
And obviously with my commitments to the late model, I worked so hard to get to this point to, to race late models that I had commitments to go to um, to Brownstown for the two Lucas races. Uh, then they moved the schedule around, and, and I, was, I was pretty bummed out that I get the race uh, Bristol on Friday with the late model. Um, so we had to pack up and go to Brownstown uh, Saturday morning, and the, the track turned into, I mean, it was absolutely terrible. It was so soft from all the rain they had gotten. Um, it, it, I think uh, they flipped four cars, and the last one was, was really bad. It, uh, they had to cut the cage off, and then they uh, airlifted the guy out. And um, The way it all worked out, we were, I was on the phone because when it comes to jets and stuff like that, you don't just say, all right, you know, fly here, there, and pick me up. You know, you got to have flight plans and everything. So there was a lot of pre-planning going into it, and if it would all work out, uh, we could have the jet fly to Brownstown and pick me up and then fly back to Bristol um, and then hopefully make it in time. So we were watching Race Monitor and the broadcast on um, on XR, um, keeping tabs on everything, and I thought we were going to be really good, and then when all those – crashes and flips and accidents happened um you know i thought we were going to be screwed and and when you send the plane from bristol to brownstown it's you're you're committed it's uh i think they said it was around 10 to fifteen thousand dollars just to fly the plane back and forth uh but with us being on the pole um the longhorn or the Lowenbro guys uh paul was there and he's like hell hell this will make for an awesome story let's go out and get them um and then the, the Lucas guys did a good job of realizing that the racetrack was was unraceable and it was just going to tear up a lot of equipment and, and probably get some more people hurt. So um, they pulled the plug on it, and I jumped in the, in the truck with my uh, late mile car owner, Craig Sims, and, and hauled us to the, to the airport. Uh, and it was probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. I rolled up to this airport, and, and there's just a million-dollar jet sitting there. Uh, with, with the two pilots just waiting on me. I felt like a, kind of a big wheel <laughs> to get on this, get on this plane. And, um, we were landing in Bristol with 45 minutes, uh, from the time I left Brownstown to the time I pulled into Bristol was a little over an hour. Um, dropped me off right by the tunnel. Uh, Charlie Donaldson, longtime sponsor, picked me up at the airport and dropped me off at, at, at Bristol at the tunnel, ran down through the tunnel and had just enough time to hop into modified and and uh, make it out for the feature. And got the money. Yeah, exactly. I mean, our car was so good, and um, I think that if it was, you know, if we were starting mid-pack, um, you know, if if our car wasn't as, as good as it was, it, it probably wouldn't have made sense. But it's definitely going to be something I'm going to remember for, for the rest of my life to not only get my first Bristol win, um, you know, that's going to be a historic thing that people are going to remember forever, but um to get my first bristol wing and doing all my traveling and being able to uh uh to use the jet and and uh you know it was it, it made for a, an awesome story and our car was so fast and the guys that worked their butts off when i was in brownstown i was calling back and forth and austin bloom and and steve dietrich and steve arpin and all the guys from longhorn by long row um had the car ready to go for me and i just had to go out there and wheel it around the racetrack for uh uh, 20 laps there. You know, I just did the math. I think you beat Stuart Friesen by like a hundred miles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause he, he ran what he ran both. He ran the truck race and then, um, Port Royal ran his modified. Yeah. And his wife's going to run the truck race up there. Mm -hmm. And then she's the world yeah. outlaw sprint cars, you know? So 
So I, I kind of pick on him the way I do you. I, so. I think I think though what you did there this weekend, people will remember it as long as that story gets out there, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with this show tonight. But that that is some Jack Hewitt style stuff, man. He would be he would be the type of person that would fly from racetrack to racetrack and show up like that, and that that has to be pretty cool. So what airports did you fly in and out of? Um, I forget what the name of the one was in Brownstown, but it was Tri City Airport that we flew into. Uh, it was like 15 minutes from Bristol. Um, but I, I think that it, uh, it was supposed to be about an hour long flight, but the, the pilots were getting ready to take off and he said, buckle up, we're going to haul ass. So <laughs> they had to hammer down and, um, did an awesome job. And it's just, I can't thank, uh, uh, Paul and John Leach enough for, for letting me use that. I mean, it's, it's not too often that, uh, uh, a little dirt, little dirt racer gets to, you know, gets, gets those opportunities. And I'm a racer true and true. And I want to be able to race anytime I possibly can. So for them to make that an option that we can go and, and even make the story possible is, uh, uh, means a ton to me. And, um, it, it's just, uh, it's one of them things that it all came together and thank God we made it. Cause if we would have got there and didn't make it, it, it still would have, you know, he had to take the risk for all the jet fuel and, and paying the pilots and all that stuff. So, so I, um, so those guys were they in victory lane with you and all were they doing backflips over winning the race uh they, they were in the pit area they they weren't in, in victory lane uh but they were in the pit area he came up he was one of the first guys when i got back out of the track um paul leach was one of the first guys there that that uh came up to me and and he said well that's gonna make for an awesome story so <laughs> um I'm sure we'll probably we'll probably throw him a bone. I told him I'd split the purse with him to try to cover some of that jet fuel. I want to ask you one more quick question about that, and then we'll talk about this weekend. How how many minutes to spare did you have when you got your feet on the ground there in Bristol before the green flag of that race? Uh, they were they had they had a couple laps into the uh, front wheel drive uh, feature, uh, and the guys had actually had the car jacked up, and uh, we were making a few final adjustments that that um, I wanted to do when we got there um looking at the racetrack and then um you know we if we would have been about 10 15 minutes later we would have missed it wow so, and, you know, we got there like i said after the feature right before i started the front wheel drive <laughs> that has to be one of the coolest things ever and then sunday of course you went back up there to atomic and uh you actually uh i believe you started on the pole up there and it looked like you had a good shot to win that race too yeah we had a really fast car and um, one of the funniest things about the whole story is like my focus was on driving that modified. And as soon as they pulled the plug in Brownstown, all I cared about was driving that modified. So I didn't even think about it. They said, we're canceled. I grabbed my helmet, my Hans, my receiver, my gloves, and I'm still in my fire suit and just took off running to get in Craig's truck. I didn't think about anything, any of the repercussions afterwards. I wasn't worried about any of that. I forgot my wallet, all my cash, <laughs> my street clothes. So I'm on the plane, and I'm thinking, man, what the hell am I going to wear home? And how am I even going to get home? How am I going to get to Atomic? And I'm like, I'll figure it all out. So um, I had to uh, – I, I, I got to ride all the way back to Mooresville in uh, Austin Bloom's car. Me, him, uh, his dad, and RJ Otto uh, rode back to Mooresville um, in my fire suit. And believe me, when we had to stop to uh, – um and get get some drinks i was uh, i had to roll into the gas station wearing my fire suit believe me austin bloom definitely caught that on video for sure wow i didn't see that one i bet that was great i'm glad you told <laughs> that. the only thing missing here is clyde torkel's chicken pit i thought you were gonna say you're gonna stop at clyde torkel's and get some chicken <laughs> yeah 
man, that, that that's a great story. I mean, it it's unreal that you that you pulled that off. I mean, you you have to just be ecstatic about it. I mean, I'm just I think it's great. So, yep, we were right, rolling back to Mooresville with the trophy and the, the awesome sword they give you that only the Bristol winners get, which is a badass sword. It's a, a real legit deal. It's all engraved um, with your win on it, and uh, only people that win at Bristol get them. So, um, have you weighed that trophy? It's heavy. It's heavy. I don't know how much it actually weighs, but it's heavy. Okay. Well, man, so coming into this weekend here, uh, I guess we kind of previewed it there to start with, but yeah, you're the World of Outlaws points leader this year, and uh, so far you've ran all the Lucas races and all the World of Outlaw races, but at some point here that's going to that's gonna split off, and I believe you're uh, committed to the World of Outlaws now, and uh, you know it's pretty cool you're going into the race this weekend with about, a, I think, about a 65-point margin over Brandon Shepard, so... Uh, can you do, you do you feel like you can maintain that into the end of the grind here coming up? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that we can. And uh, uh, I really enjoy running the Lucas races and I really enjoy running the uh, Word of Outlaw races. And um, it's just uh, I mean, we do this for money and it's just a business decision. And, um, you know, fortunately for the Outlaws and unfortunately for Lucas, we just, uh, I mean, the, the performance on one with the, with the Outlaws was so much better than what it was on the on lucas and even this weekend um we had a, an awesome car and we're up front and i was uh going for the wind to try to make up some of the points and ended up getting into the wall and um and cutting a right rear tire down so then we didn't get a good finish again there so uh we're going to try to run as many of the races as we can up to the convergence point where i think it's at the end of april um but yeah right now leading word of outlaws you got to kind of attack the races a little differently because uh, you're not in 100% protect mode, but you're you're definitely um, not making some of the moves I was making Saturday or uh, Sunday at Atomic to try to. Um, I had everything to gain and nothing to lose, and on the War of Outlaw side, I got a lot more to lose. Um, so I'm gonna be a little bit more conservative, but excited to go to Cherokee this week for sure. It's a place that I know and have a lot of laps around, and paying big money, and hopefully we can uh, leave there with an even bigger points lead. Are you planning to practice Thursday night? There is a there's a race uh, four eleven that yes. uh, depending on weather we're gonna try to go to that so uh, well, we got so many laps around Cherokee that it will we'll be at four eleven hopefully we'll have our new uh, we'll be able to debut our new Longhorn uh, chassis we're getting hopefully tomorrow or Wednesday. Have you heard uh, on the street about possibly one and two being banked up a little higher at Cherokee this past week? I no, seen that don't. they uh, they were doing some stuff. Yeah. Um, they're they're. Um, it's not for lack of effort there. I mean, they, they, they're trying all kinds of different things. It's just the dirt is so hard to get to where it cleans up and it makes it racy there. Yeah. Um, but I heard they have changed, they have, uh, changed the racetrack a little bit and your mama is still going to warn you about it is what the two things I've heard. <laughs> Man, we'll see you there. Okay. Congratulations on the weekend. We will see you there. Rat, 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 yeah, we'll see you down there this weekend, Strickler. Uh, rattle off your sponsors real quick here and we'll let you go. I know you're taking the family over to Millbridge tonight, I believe. Yeah, I mean, um, first and foremost, on the on the late model side, it's uh, Craig and Shannon Sims, a professional concrete cutting and drilling. Um, they're uh, giving this opportunity, and it's um, it's, it's uh, everything's going really, really good there. Um, G Style Transport, Donaldson Grading, Bill Stein Shocks, Stockar Steel SRI. Um, everybody that helps me on the product side. Uh, Andy's towing. He he was up there at Bristol, and I know winning that mod race uh, meant a lot to him. Um, 
you know, it, it's just, uh, it's been a, been a great season and I uh, appreciate everybody that, that helps me and jumps on board here and getting me to, or allowing me to live out my dream here racing uh, as much as I possibly can. Uh, keep the momentum rolling, Kyle. Uh, good luck this weekend and good luck the rest of the season. And we'll see you soon, buddy. All right. Sounds great. I'll see you guys this weekend. Thank you, Kyle. Well, coming up this weekend is the first annual Rock Galt Memorial down at Cherokee Speedway in Gaffney, South Carolina for the World of Outlaw Lake Model Series. It's going to pay 40000 to win. And I've got none other than my good friend Dwayne Goins here today to kind of preview that event. He was there. He, he, knows, he knew Rock Galt and uh, was there a whole lot of those nights. Uh, he's the, the man that warned your mama. How about it for Dwayne Goins here? Glad to be here. Man, that Kyle Strickler, that previous segment you folks heard i guess it runs in order he had a heck of a weekend but uh he's pumped up about this race coming up and i'm pumped up and uh we're going to have a little ceremony down there we're going to talk about rock a little bit but uh, this thing started as twenty thousand to win and there's been some negotiations going back and forth mike gold and and the, and, the, and the racetrack people about what when we're how to do it and mike wanted to blow it up big and i think it surprised him because it started at 20 and the 20 to 40 you know and then there's it's 12 for second and 15 for second and 10 for third something like that and 1200 start but the community just piled on i rode around with mike and in, in the infield and people were just you know writing checks to cherokee speedway to, to get it up there and the, the response from that little community is amazing for this and you know, I've been thinking about this whole thing, my interaction with him, and seeing how and the things he's done. He was the old man was a genius, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend a little time and, and tell you folks out here a little bit on some things that he did over the years. And if you're ready to go, we'll get at it. Oh, we're ready. We've been going. You know, uh, Gaffney was a little hot, dusty mill town, and uh, Rock Edgar Rock Hard Rock Galt Jr. Uh, he passed away November sixth, uh, uh, November thirtieth of two thousand six. He was seventy seven years old when he passed. But he and his brother Otis had a junk card on the end of town, and they'd sell you he'd sell used cars and they'd towing and back and forth. Uh, if there was an event in town, he'd have people doing bull peanuts, and he had the, the building outside of Turn One up there uh, uh, at, at Cherokee. They ran the Cherokee Auto Auction there, like Thursday nights or something. But he, you know, he made his money horse trading back and forth and used cars and and he'd buy a piece of rental property and he, he built it, he built his way up. And of course he grew up there in that town, but, uh, um, the, and I'm going, I'm going to jump forward a little, I guess I'm gonna jump forward. I, mean, I don't know. He, you know, he spent his, his, his youth, uh, there at the racetrack, his good buddy, buttercup at buttercup diesel 18. Uh, he worked on a construction crew as they were building I 85 through there. The main artery to Atlanta was old 29. They were building I-85, and Buttercup and these guys that liked to go to the racetrack, they had a small track there at, at Gaffney. Paul Ghost uh, won a bunch of races from Morristown, Tennessee there. He's, he's a legend. But uh, they wanted to widen it and, and lengthen it and bank it. Well, they would go, they would fill up the pans and the graders at night when they got off work there at the job site, go home, eat supper, and come back and drive those things over there through the woods to the racetrack, and they lengthened that track, and they banked it up. And you know, and this, that, and other, and and back in the day, it was rookie hobbies and sportsmen, and you had like a little six-cylinder car and a, and a rookie, and maybe a two-barrel carburetor, and then the, the hobbies was something else, and then uh, they had the, the late models, which was fifty-five Chevrolets, and then they went to sixty-four Malibus and sixty-nine Camaros and all that, but uh, 
he had the track running a little, a little bit, those three divisions, and then uh, he has leased it out to Dave and Deborah Perry that have Perry's tire there in Gaffney. They ran it for a little bit, and, and then um, it shut down. The, he, the lease ran out, and they, they kind of argued over that. Well, then he got it back. Rock got it back going, but uh, it was just, just rolling along. Okay, and there's some legendary people down there, and, and most of them are still alive now on Facebook and stuff. You know, uh, the Randolph Trucking Car, you know, uh, some guys like that. But, but um, Mike Duvall and Dick Murphy out of Volusia County, Florida, and P Paul Paris of Spartanburg, they formed a little deal and they bought the place from Rock. Well, that's that just bothered him to no end, and they didn't have a Duvall was racing everywhere. He had time to worry about a racetrack during the week and do all the things you got to do. And Paul Paris is running his record service, and Murphy's in Florida. It's like, what were we thinking, you know? But Rock basically, uh, he kind of outsmarted him a little bit. He, he went to a, an old five-eighths mile track south of town, south of town down eighteen. As it was grown up. And you can see it, it's off Racetrack Road, south of Gaffney. But he called the local building supply. And he said, I will need a load of sand, a load of rocks. I need some trusses. I need some blocks. I need some bricks, some power poles. And somebody brought in some lights, and they stacked all that up on the property. Well, whoever was the go-around-town guy, Rock made sure that guy knew. And word got back to Duval, and Duval calls Paris at Spartanburg, and Paris calls Dickie Murphy, who still owns the campground down at across the Volusia County Speedway. Uh, world Outlaws just, I think, finished paying him for the track. He owned the track down there, too. Uh, but anyway, they're like, so they sold it back to Rock, and Rock made a pretty good lick between uh, what they paid him and what he paid them back. I think he made enough to get it going. But... Uh, uh, there's a man there that this, there's a lot of hammocks in Gaffney. There's one that, that ran the bank down there and, and, and rock and, and Mr. How I think he was in the hospital when they did the deal, but, uh, he brought David Perry in. So they made the deal to lease it back to David and Deborah. They have Perry's tire there in town and they own about a city block and she lectures at limestone and she's got plaques from the Businesswoman of the year. David was the racer and he was tough as nails and he could handle these drivers and stuff. He had outrun them and fought a few of them and but Deborah was just uh just uh she was a sharp business lady and so they got it and um uh, uh so we rolled along but rock would he'd get the rent and his wife mary got the popcorn money and uh, uh he got paid separate you know to prep the track every week so i had i had quit crosser corporation i i called my races at metro line speedway in 84 and then I wound up calling the races at uh, Tri-County Speedway, the first races they had up at Hudson on dirt. And so I'll give credit to Ernie Elkins for telling the Perrys to maybe I was at Tri-County on Fridays and not anywhere yet on Saturdays to give me a shot down there. And I was only 20-something years old, and they had this old crow's nest up there. He had to go in the concession where Paula works today. And I'm going to ask her exactly because I know she was down there then, and that was a long time ago, and, and Rambo's mom, who's never watched a lap down there. So this is an ongoing thing here, but uh, it's, it circulates around rock. So uh, had to crawl up through that hole, and uh, the flagman flagged the race, Eddie Bridges, and he had a clipboard in his left arm, and he would write down the cars when they'd come by. So he flagged it and scored it. And I had a Bogan amp, Mr. Engineer, with nothing but tubes in it, and 32 speakers, and yeah, you couldn't blow it up. <laughs> so uh, 
But Rock would prep the track in his old green tractor with that long water tank on the back. But And I've never seen it done anywhere else. But uh, he would roll the track from the bottom up. And I'm blowing my pre-race music and stuff, setting the tone and all and, and everything. I had been down there as a kid. I heard him play the national anthem, and it was... Old say, can you see? Uh, you know, record player. So I had my little alligator box and some cassettes, and I got me a couple of national anthems and the current music, you know, and Hank and Travis, that stuff you had to have. And of course, that morphed into CDs and then 5,000 iTunes. But uh, Rock would come up, and the, really that was basically, he'd come up and tell David Perry, say, it's ready. And, you know, some weeks he'd say, don't give them too many laps because the traffic came out across the track, they're going into one. But it was .566 around that place. And he'd come up to me and he'd say, and, and he had that tobacco in his jaw, that red man hat. And when it was cold weather, he had this Purolator jacket that David Pearson gave him. And when he'd go out promoting, Rock Gall wore that Purolator jacket. It had the quilted look to it, you know. And But he would come up and those old wraparound sunglasses. He'd say, you know, so how's it look? I said, you know, you... uh." You keep doing this another 20 years, you'll get it right. One of these <laughs> he got a growl at me. He said, they don't know you can squeeze water uphill. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, and, 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 you know, and we, uh, it was some there. And, and let me tell you, you know, Rock prepped the track. He had one helper, Donnie. David had his dad and mom. And Deborah had her mom and dad. David had Ollie. And the other helper was a kid named Dennis Franklin, who David would pick up. 11 o'clock in the morning and go around the wholesale house and get the food and get the drinks. And Rambo Franklin stocked the drink boxes there. And when he got a promotion, we put him down on the track, uh, lining up the cars for about five weeks until he demanded a headset. So we gave him a headset, but he didn't have a battery in it. <laughs> so, and while I'm on that subject, he had a pair of camouflage pants and, uh, Rock, I said, what you got that kid down there for? You know, so anyway, he had a pair of camouflage pants, and he'd wear them out there every week, lining cars up, get mud, they'd throw mud on him. Duval would spin the wheel, spin mud on him. You know, the heat races back then, it was just sloppy wet. And, you know, come main event, it, it was right. But uh, but his mama would throw them on the clothesline, and they let the Lord wash them during the week on the clothesline and take a hose pipe to them. And he'd wear those same camouflage pants every week. So he got full of himself. With the battery, and he's jibber jabber, jibber jabber. And Eddie Bridges, the flagman, trying to look at me like, It's your fault you got him a battery. So, not only my fault. But anyway, uh, uh, so the, it had a guardrail there, and it overlapped, and you could walk between it to go on pit road. So, the, they'd had enough of it one week. So, I never grabbed the radio uh, at all. They say they want to know what happened to us, if they're all at odds about what happened to the wreck. But I said, Rambo. I said, Yeah. I said, we drew short straws. We drew straws. I drew the short one. I got to be the one to tell you this. Uh, those camouflage pants you're wearing every week? He said, yeah. I said, they got, they, for about three or four weeks now, they've been ripped right up the butt right there. Everybody's been looking at your butt for about <laughs> three or four weeks. His face turned red. He turned around, and he was a big boy. He was like 12. He ran through that guardrail, and he flew but behind where Victory Lane is, behind the concession in the bathroom to check his pants. So it was about three more heat races before Rambo returned. When he walked out there, Eddie Bridge said, Now, Rambo, we don't want to hear from you unless the police is getting ready to haul you to town. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, and that's where he got his Rambo nickname. I'm thinking some people around uh, uh, Blanton's record service, and maybe Turkey Craig had a little something to do with it too. But, uh, 
But um, that was the thing. The track prep and rock, and we had some dusty nights. These people go on Facebook now and say, hey, it wasn't no dust. Yeah, a little bit. It was a little bit. But uh, oh, well, they would cross over the track. Andy Bridges would watch that. If it started to riffle up a little bit, he'd throw the yellow during hot laps, send another class out, and they'd roll over it two or three times and go again. So we managed it. But it was .566, and that old man took that green tanker, and he rolled it from the bottom up. And it was right more nights than it wasn't. And uh, he, he's just an amazing character with his red men hat. And, and there's an official hat and shirt for this event down there. And I, went, I drove up to Hildebrand to look at some photos. But I, there's a photo out there somewhere of him in that tractor with his arm up in the window and that, that, his jaw sticking out the window frame. He had so much tobacco in there. And a roll in that track. And it's a classic photo. We've been digging for that and trying to figure out where it was at and who had it and everything. But uh, back in the day... Uh, Gaffney was in competition with Concord Speedway. Metrolina ran Friday and Concord was Saturday night, 234. I can do this. So uh, Billy Scott drove for James Dunlap, Dunlap, and that was just a shoestring operation. He'd been winning races. Billy was from Union down on Highway 9 out from Jonesville. And you from down there, you shouldn't be going to Concord running races, you know. So uh, they had a blown motor one week, and they knew they wasn't getting their motor back, and they couldn't race. So Rock Gall. Hey, and this comes from Billy Scott. Rock Galt paid him three hundred dollars in seventy-four, seventy-five. You know, gas is twenty-three-nine. Paid him three hundred dollars to park their car on their hauler on pit road at Gaffney on Saturday night because he didn't want those people coming to Gaffney and not seeing Billy Scott and going home thinking Billy Scott was racing at Concord because he knew they wasn't going to buy Charles over on Tuesday and see who won what. That's what we used to do, but he didn't want the people. He didn't want the people to uh, to think that Billy Scott wasn't at Gaffney, or that he was at you know at Con thought he was racing at Concord because that hurts you next week. Well, we go to Concord because right. being in Gastonia, we watch that. Uh, we'd watch and see Concord. Ralph Earnhardt, Ralph Earnhardt, there we go. Stick. Man. So we say, okay, well, Ralph's gonna win again this week. We'll go to Gaffney. We'll watch Fat Cat and Duval and Charlie Blanton. You know. So uh, and I, I was Hunter Huss High going in the library on Tuesday morning to get to Charlie Observer to see who finished where on Saturday night. This just came to me. But, uh, and we said, well, stick one. Or, or Chuck Piazza won. And well, hell, we're going up there this week. And, uh, you know, you know, Ralph, somebody beat Ralph. So we go to Concord. Ralph would sit on the hood of his car and count the people in the grandstands. And he might run second that week. But I guarantee the promoter paid him the difference between first and second because the next week the crowd was up because they saw it in the paper that Ralph got beat, you know. Ralph got beat. It's showmanship. They were showmen, and and uh, goes on. I've got more. We winding down here, headed for a break. I got I got a long one coming up, so we you won't have to take your break here. Talking a little rock god. I'm glad to be doing this, and and thank y'all. Y'all got a great facility here. I don't get a word in whenever I get you on here, Dwayne. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll come right back, and uh, we'll tell some more stories of the hard rock. Welcome back to the Forward Bike Podcast. I'm Kyle Armstrong. Joined today. By Dwayne Goins here. Dwayne Goins grew up at Cherokee Speedway and uh, has really got a lot of stories to tell, as you've already heard here. So uh, I'm gonna let him roll a little more and tell tell you some more informa information about what uh, what Rock Galt meant to that place. The Hard Rock. You ended that segment with the Hard Rock. Well, the record service and the junkyard and the bull peanuts and the used cars and the car auction and everything else he had going on. Uh, that's the way he made his deals. That was his nickname. Because he made a deal with him, he made the hard deal. It was his advantage, you know. But he wanted you to see see you do good. He sold. He owned the Buffalo Speedway. 
outside of the Union. He owned that, and, and Chuck Hefner, that drove the old 911 car at Gaffney. He was a, he was an EMT, so his car number was 911. It was great, but he uh, he bought that thing, did owner finance with Rockwood Buffalo Speedway, and ran that thing on Fridays, and uh, that's a success story. And I hope he shows up. Saturday night and says a few words. I, I hope and Humpy Wheeler's going to show and um, and uh, J D Brown, the uh, Cherokee landscaping man. The invitation's still there and uh, Bill Blanton uh, of Gaffney invitation's still there because we'll do a little something for them. And and there's a reason for it. And these stories go on and on. But he was he was a genius. You know, I said it was a mill town. The mills and the mill hill. And you never worked in a mill, have you? The mills pay off on Thursday. Never been in a mill. The mills pay off. You'll go working in a mill down. There's not to go in one, you know, do good enough. The mills paid off on Thursday. So Rock ran Cherokee Speedway on Thursday nights. Everybody had a landline. I'm going to say a Blacksburg or a Gaffney small town like that. A lot of people don't know what a party line is, but the operator's sitting there listening to everybody and plugging everybody in and out, and somebody's got to get off so somebody else can talk. Landlines, no cell phones, no internet, no you forget all that. Um, he ran Cherokee on Thursdays, and I'm sure Mary Gault cashed a few mill paychecks at that front ticket booth up there on Thursday. Then they would go to Livonia on Friday night, David Smith's granddaddy's place, Charlie Miles down there. They'd run Livonia on Friday night where he, where he had, uh, when he first started that, that's where he started meeting the Georgia bandits down that way and stuff. Uh, then they would uh, run Cherokee on Saturday night, and Sunday morning, he's at Carolina Speedway in Gastonia. I saw a lot of good racing with Harold Dunaway and Jimmy Troll and Eddie McCarter and Jim Vandiver and, of course, Dick Elliott on Sunday afternoons. And sometimes his night, and it was a competition. You had Rutherford County Fairgrounds. You had Harris. But you didn't go to Harris because Charlie Blanton, you know, beat you pretty bad. But he'd have some little flyers. Uh, the third most busiest intersection in North Carolina for a long time was the intersection of Franklin Boulevard and New Hope Road. And there was an Amoco there. And they had Leo's Amico on it. If you ever look at an early picture of Freddie Smith, you see Leo's Amico. But there was a reader board sign there. And Rock brought it up there. And Leo, you know, he liked Freddie. All it said was, big race, Saturday night, Cherokee. That's all I had to say. Yeah. Uh, when he would when he would throw a, he'd throw a big race. I, I said, now, what's the big race going to be? Well, we're going to put another 100 on top and call it a big race. <laughs> <laughs> but he'd have Cherokee Speedway Saturday night. And then, like, I don't know, every five weeks, big race. Ironically, big they've race. got a big race there this weekend. It's the biggest ever. It's 40000 to win. It started off as twenty, and people started throwing money, and it's just an amazing thing. It's in his memory, and I'm sure I'm kind of sweating to get enough people you know, come up and say some stuff and all that. Saturday, people kind of bashful, but I'm sure they'll come out from under the rocks and stuff. Uh, there it is again, right? Yeah. But uh, he was a genius like that. The meal's paying off on Thursday, you know? You don't have to pay as much on Thursday because you don't have any competition. Nobody else is racing, you know. And he had married right around. Most of the time he had a big old Lincoln Town car or something going way back. And he'd have flyers and backseat full of peanuts. Just that, and wherever there's something going on, you'd see that red man hat and that pure later jacket coming through the crowd. He's got a flyer. And if you were ever out anywhere at a restaurant and walked in, uh, he, would, he, would, he would get ice water. Because he has sugar, he'd get ice water, and he'd he'd order something simple, and he'd pull a tomato out of his pocket, and he'd pull out his pocket knife out of his pocket, and he'd put a napkin down there and put him some salt and pepper down, and he would sit there and eat that tomato while they were bringing him 
his food. And, you know, he had his ways. He had his ways about him. But uh, you had to listen to him, and he saw the big picture. He saw through a lot of the, the you know, the stuff. He saw what I was doing down there, you know. And uh, one week he come up and said, we've got some people here from, you ever heard of Sugar Tit, South Carolina? Said, yeah, I heard of Sugar Tit. They got Sugar Tit moonshine, by the way, now. So anyway, and he liked to hear me say Sugar Tit. And it's just came to me this morning, and this music you played for me, and this stuff you folks are hearing, thanks to Dirty Grass Soul, okay? This thing y'all hearing on this bumper music, whoever's listening to this deal. Um, I was thinking this morning that he brought me a cassette tape to play, and it was it was and it was his favorite song, and it was Jim Croce, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. So if I can find a way to get that played down there. Saturday, we might we might have to play that for, for the rock. But he, uh, how you do that? There's people right now on Facebook. You know, Cherokee's got I don't know how many pages. I control 15 pages and all this electronic stuff. There's people still don't know, you know, what time is it? You know, grand, you know, pits at two and and grandstands at three both days. And 602s are running Friday, 604 Saturday, and uh, you know you can go to those pages. But there's still people out there that don't know. Oh, yeah. These guys in this building here, I don't know if they've ever been there. You know, I don't know if they know what's going on. Yeah, but all this information is out there. How did he do that? How did he run four dirt tracks in a row? You know, Livonia, uh, uh, Gaff, uh, Livonia, uh, Gaffney, Livonia. Right, exactly. Gaffney again. All those years ago. And, and the thing about that, if you were anywhere within driving distance and it was cloudy, and you people remember this this weekend, because Rot's going to have something to do with all this. And I've seen the weather forecast. You know, it's, it's kind of sketchy Thursday and and uh, sketchy maybe Friday. But don't believe those numbers because it's 20% every day. Okay, and it either does or it don't. But if we were at, Ma at Concord and it rained out, hey, I-85 was full of trucks and trailers going to Gaffney because they knew Rock would run. They knew. It's just like if you have the little neighborhood bar, you got to be there every day. they got to know you're open. They got to know they can be there, you know. They knew Rock was going to run, and he told me, and I learned this, and I've conveyed it to several promoters over the years, and I believe he said it before it hit TV. Last man standing. Well, as he said, last man standing. You know, that's the way. <laughs> that's the way it came over. But he, yeah, everybody knew he was going to run. Everybody knew he was going to run, and and uh, uh, it's just the way it was. Well, all those years, the track was a big half mile, and he was really proud of that being a half mile. And, uh, you know, right after he passed away there, they shortened it and uh, made it a, about a four-tenths mile. And Right it's, after. Uh, right after he died. And I just, I, I sort of have always felt like that's a slap in the face to his legacy to this well, day. Well, I'm going to say something. Uh, the straightaways are narrow right now. Yeah. And you went past the end of the grandstands, past the crossover, and where those haulers are now, that was one and two out there. And let me say this, I'm well, not putting it down. As you get faster, back in the day, yeah. the South Carolina Highway Patrol, this is in the 80s. I think the car, Billy Scott, the Quincy Steakhouse car, he went through the Quincy Steakhouse billboard out through the backstretch. They clocked him at 118 going into turn one. Okay, that's a 355, maybe a 362. He ain't no 415, 441, or nothing like, you know, it's steel block, you know, 118 going into one. And you went into three faster. Yeah. But as you go faster, that straightaway narrows up. And you've seen them wad them up down that straightaway. I'm not going to take up for them. They did what they had to do, but 
I don't know, I think I'd have brought in a surveyor and I'd put some transition to the corner like the Tazewells and the Bulls and Gats where it twists up before you get there. Yeah. You see now it's flat going into three and they get down there and if you look close, there's some frame rails bobbing out. Give me some back of the fence try to give me a little transition. Uh, I think if the the, back, the wall was rolled back eight feet, which was wanted to be done, it will change. See, it's always tight coming off too. Float it out. You change your trajectory, you know, down the back stretch. It will change the way you enter three. Yeah. And then he may jump it to the top. But see, when Rock Galt brought C.L. Pritchett to town in the black 17, C.L. had won in the Mike Hill Gardner Electric uh, car 27 that Mike Hill Jr. Johnson's right-hand man built that thing. Uh, he just came within seven minutes and went in his third Rolex 24 in a row. And, you know, he, but he took two frame rails and threw them in the floor at Elmo Henderson's shop. And Mike Hill and Barry Wright built that golden white 27. It's in a garage at Swainsboro Speedway now. I was afraid to touch it. It's just like, you know. But he brought CL to town and Duval and those guys, they were running off in the corner. Bennett Klontz, too, who needs to be in the Hall of Fame. They would roll it in the corner, lift, and pick the throttle back. CL drove by them, went to the top, and flicked it. I wish Jonathan Davenport could see. He had the big oversized steering wheel. And if you ever watched a video of a stealth fighter, flick, 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 that's the way he went through the corner around the top. And he won six weeks in a row. And the quote on Rock's obituary, he said, I love that old man. So I love, he said, we, see, we won more than we lost, but if we had problems, he'd make sure we had money to get home and get back next week. But Rock brought him there. He brought former Lance, uh, Buddy Morris, Aaron Gailey, Ray Allison. And uh, it just turned... The thing I've noticed over the years about the Gaffney crowd, it was a gap there before Buddy Morris came. And he ran that line like CL did, orange 44 around the top. And uh, the crowd got into it. Uh, I worked a deal with Ray Allen and Ed Basie to bring the white four cellular one car there for the first time ever. Let them in free. He took the white flag and blew the engine down the front straightaway. And he had them covered and the place went crazy. So they come back the next week. They sniffed that gravy. You know what I'm saying? You go to win, you get that gravy. You go to they beat you. So they came back the next week. Ed basically won the race that next week. And they loved that. You could just feel the vibe from the crowd. You know, when somebody new comes in there, it's like the Kurt Practic boy. Kurt Patrick, whatever. Everybody's wanting him back this weekend. And I don't know. I don't that's the only guy I don't know that's you know. Yeah, he could he could be a potential threat to win that thing if they'll let it if they'll let him run with that. Well, he's, he's changed got. some stuff and all that and everything. Maybe I don't you know I don't know, but but, but th th that crowd down there and it's yeah. something about that place. And uh, the first time they brought sprint cars down there, there's some kind of slow watered down version. They laughed. They laughed. I said, man, this is uh, you know. So David Perry brought in all star sprints out of Florida, and that was that was a big thing. But David Tabor ran it. Uh, they sold their lease off to Terry. Brotherton of Denver and Ernie Elkins at the Racing News, and they took it on. And, and But Rock still prepped the track and coached them and tried to keep them, you know, in line. He loved that place. There's a situation down there where they subleased it to a guy that ran a 50,000-win enduro, and he left before the, the race was 10 laps in and was gone, you know. But the guy that won it had won three of this guy's races and hadn't been paid yet. But Rock wanted those two to pay because it happened to his place, and they let it happen, you know. They let it happen. And I learned something about drivers that day. I pointed him out at the driver's meeting, the guy. And I said, uh, I said, there he is. There's three people sitting in the grandstands. I said, I've been paid. I've been paid. And there he is. I don't think he's got your money over there. And they looked at him and, and everything. And they, they ran anyway. So 
I learned, I learned something that day. But Rock loved that place so much, you know. But if you ever want a good story, you could go by there and uh, the house, the brick house across where you're pulling the pits down there, uh, they had a cypress, uh, probably a mimosa tree there. or we, we might have been a, a weeping willow, I think. But he had no uh, yard swing out there, you know, three people yard swing. While he's watering, uh, letting the, the water truck load up, he would uh, sit in that old, sitting out. He'd have him an apple. He'd have an apple in his pocket, and uh, and it'd be hot. He'd still be wearing an old jacket, a hat rolled down. But he moved at his own pace, and wherever something was happening, it might be Cleveland County Fair or Metro Line on Friday nights or this stuff, he was there. He was there, and uh, he had it ready on Saturdays. And the uh, minute 33, I think I can do this. Are we on that? Uh, me and Dana Warax brought the Red 97 there in 1981. He didn't make it to the flag stand. He got wrecked, bent to front snout and all. But you never would see rock while the races were going on. But he'd be on that road up top at the payoff window, and he'd have a handful of white envelopes. There'd be a 5, a 10, a 20, a 50, a 100. And he'd, he'd come up to and say, you had a tough time tonight, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. he sure did. He said, pull you one of these. Don't tell Mary. Don't tell Mary. He said, pull you one of these. I pulled the 100. And that's 1981. And we raced on part of that 100 the next Friday night at Metro. But we were back there Saturday night. And that's what it takes. These guys that work all week and, and you know, they spend all their money and this, that. No, they don't go their way. And they go. Reality hits when you walk up there to get your pay envelope. It's 20, 25 bucks. And they just dropped their head. That's the hard part about promoting. You've got you to fluff their wings up and say, ah, oh, this and that and that, a little bit. You could have done this, could have done that. And things will work better for you. Well, I'll see you next week. It's going to quit, you know. But if you, you know, it's like the chicken fight. The chicken don't want to fight anymore. They grab the chicken and they blow up his butt and throw him back in there. And he'll fight. He'll fight again. That's what the promoter's got to do. And he was good at it. But you never see him. You didn't know if he saw a lot. But he knew everything that went on. And I, to this day, don't know where he watched the races at. You got 10 seconds. <laughs> you left me with 10 seconds here. <laughs> I, I just, uh, yeah, man, that, those are some great stories, Dwayne. I appreciate you coming on. But, yeah, I can just... Uh, I can still remember seeing rock as a, whenever I would be down there as a kid, you know, my dad would take us to the races and, and I can always remember rock being out there. We'd get there early just to watch him drive that motor grader and, and prepare the track and water the track and do all that. And, and he uh, wasn't in a hurry. No, he was never in a hurry. They never started on time down there, but it, it was fine. But I can remember him standing up there at the, at the top at the concession stand. I'd always, uh, you know, I'd just be a little kid, but I'd give him thumbs up or something like that. And I can still remember that it kind of, Turned his grin up a little bit. And like you said, he had always had a mouthful of chewing tobacco. And I'll never forget that, uh, just the look on his face. And, and when you go into the racetrack there this weekend, race fans, if you look to your left there, there's always a picture of him right there on that wall. Absolutely. Uh, whenever, they, uh, whenever he passed away, they put that there as a memorial, and it's still there. So when you go to the race this weekend at Cherokee Speedway, the Rock Golf Memorial, uh, remember him. And the, and the stories we told here on the show, uh, they're all true. <laughs> yeah they are <laughs> and uh so uh, so yeah uh yeah, it's gonna be a huge event this weekend i'm looking forward to it I, i'm thinking the weather is gonna play uh play out to be uh just favorable and uh we'll we'll get down there and we'll have us a good show this weekend i'll give you a little tip scott bloomquist is not happy over saturday night and he's working in the shop up there i got the call from greenville tennessee he's working overtime he got something up his sleeve this weekend 
we'll have to see what he's got this weekend. Well, man, we're looking forward to it. Uh, thank you to Wayne for coming on and being a part of this show tonight. I really appreciate it. Well, you keep doing this thing. It, it'll get some traction to go somewhere. This is show number 18. This is the episode number 18. Stick right Elliott's 55 Chevrolet to white 18. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to, we're going to try to keep doing this as long as they'll let me keep coming back and uh, we'll, We'll be back and do it again next week. But, uh, yeah, uh, this has been another episode of the Forward Bike Podcast in the books. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong, and we'll see you next week. Now they're running two nights in a row over 50Ks on the line. For the race they're running in his name. But won't you tell me one more time just so I'll understand. Are you sure Rock done it this way? Lord, I don't think Rock done it this way.